10, 9, ignition sequence start, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The Treehouse of Liberty podcast is hosted by Jason Fornwald and comes to you from the bright red corner of the bright blue state of Maryland. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into another episode of the Treehouse of Liberty podcast. I am your host, Jason Formwalt, and thank you so much for joining me once again. I'm sure you're all sick of hearing about the coronavirus at this point. I'm going to bring it up only to point out the absolute absurdity of what is being reported. Um, our regular seasonal flu last year infected about 18 million Americans and killed 34,200. To put that in perspective, 34,200 deaths, that's an entire Major League Baseball stadium. Every single person in the building dead. Um, 18 million is roughly the population of New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, and Pittsburgh. All of those cities combined, every single person in every one of those cities being infected. Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the drawer necessarily, but I would see that as a significant problem. You know, we're talking about coronavirus, which now has infected about 500 people in the United States. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that's, that's a small high school gymnasium, you know, and worldwide coronavirus has infected about the same number of people that would fit in AT&T Stadium in Dallas, where the Cowboys play. You know, you're talking about one stadium worldwide versus something that has infected as many people as the entire populations of New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, and Pittsburgh. Every single person in each of those cities, including our four largest. Now, you tell me which is the bigger problem. Which one should you be more concerned about? You know, and I'm especially disappointed in my own governor here in the state of Maryland. 973 Americans, I'm sorry, I should say 973 Marylanders last year lost their lives to our seasonal flu strains. 973. No state of emergency, no extra funding, no nothing. 973 people. With three infected people in the entire state, our governor declared a state of emergency and authorized an additional $10 million in spending just to combat coronavirus. It's like, where's that money even going? You know, we're spending $3.3 million per infected person. If you can't cure them and turn them into superheroes with that kind of money, then you need to stop. You know, and why does the media not care about the regular flu? 18 million people infected, over 34,000 dead versus 500 and what, 20? Tell me which is the bigger problem, and tell me which one should be the bigger priority. Of course, you can't blame the regular seasonal flu strains on Trump. You know, whereas if he doesn't declare a state of emergency back when there's 20 people infected in the United States, oh, he didn't respond fast enough. And leave it to our media and Democrats to say that. When back when swine flu hit the United States, Barack Obama waited for 1,000 Americans to die before he enacted a state of emergency. So it's like at 20 couple, Trump didn't react fast enough. But with a thousand bodies stacked up, Obama handled that perfectly. 
It's like the absurdity of the way things are reported in this country is just absolutely ridiculous. It makes no sense at all. It really doesn't. You look at the, the presidential race, it's almost as absurd. I know that Democrats are running a guy who espouses an economic system that has never worked in the history of planet Earth. And sadly enough, he's got a bunch of people behind him. He may have actually won the nomination the last time if the DNC hadn't turned control over everything, including funding to Hillary Clinton, the most corrupt politician to ever set foot in Washington, D.C. It is not close. And if you need any proof of that, she finally is going to have to give a sworn deposition in her Espionage Act case, in which she did, she absolutely did have classified information on a private server in violation of the Espionage Act, and James Comey came out and said flat out that she did. And gross negligence actually fits the definition of the statute. If you are grossly negligent, you are liable, and you have violated the Espionage Act. People swing for violating the Espionage Act. And furthermore, every one of us that pay attention to the news whatsoever saw her perjure herself in front of Congress. Oh, the only thing that was on there was wedding plans and yoga routines. And Comey came out and said there's classified information on there. That's perjury before Congress. That's a felony. And you know damn well this woman isn't going to get any time, which is the most disgusting part of all of this. You know, it's like, if you're a Clinton, you're immune. It doesn't matter. You know, her husband lied to Congress, too. And, of course, he paid no consequences for that whatsoever. He was impeached, but it didn't go anywhere. I mean, it's like this family it is like the modern mob. They're untouchable. There's no two ways about it. They are untouchable. At least they have been up until now. Now, I hope this deposition is going to change things. Of course, I expect her to plead the Fifth Amendment the entire way through, and that's fine. That's her right. But at the same time, the feds need to be compiling the evidence against her. And they need to start with James Comey. Who's already said flat out he had classified information on that computer. And even if she was grossly negligent, she is still guilty. She's entitled to a fair trial just like anybody else. I hope she gets that. But it's kind of like, you know, uh, Sergeant Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. We will have a fair trial followed immediately by an execution. And I would be just fine with that. You know, we have proof that China got a hold of those emails. If China got a hold of those emails, guess who else got a hold of those emails? That would be Russia. Of course, we're talking about the only person and the only party that used Russia to inter interfere in the 2016 election. When the FBI knew Christopher Steele was not reliable, and yet they used his Hillary Clinton bought-and-paid-for dossier, which he obtained from two Russian intelligence agents, and handed it over to the FISA court saying it was a, a, a legal document and grounds to be able to spy on the, the incoming president of the United States, and later a president of the United States. 
It's like what these sons of bitches did makes Nixon look like a saint. I mean, two Russian intelligence agents. She directly used them to interfere in our election. Hillary Clinton is treason on top of treason covered in treason. She is a traitor. She is a literal traitor to the United States of America. It's not even really up for debate. And then you have these stupid Democrats in Congress. Adam Schiff, I'd love to grab him by his little pencil neck and shake him until he stopped twitching. NSA agent listening to the show, I, I'm using hyperbole here. <laughs> but I mean, it's like they go after Trump, who Robert Mueller proved didn't do anything with Russia. You have Joe Biden, who admitted to a quid pro quo with Ukraine, withholding a billion dollars until the prosecutor investigating his son is fired. And what do congressional Democrats do? They continue to try to fabricate some bullshit to unlawfully remove a duly elected president of the United States. It's the party of treason. And, you know, it makes me so mad because I, I feel like I am violating the oath that I took twice to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. These modern Democrats are domestic enemies of the Constitution. I wish the President of the United States would just come out and say that. Take my handcuffs off. Let me do what I vowed to do. Because God knows the bastards in D.C. that take that same oath, they're sure as hell not going to do it. Pelosi and Schiff and Schumer and all the rest of the vile vermin on that side down there. Makes me want to absolutely vomit. But enough about that ridiculousness. We've been through that a hundred times. And unfortunately, anything I have to say is not going to amount to a hill of beans as far as actually getting anything done. And unfortunately, I think that's true for most loyal Americans out here paying attention to what's actually going on and understanding the truth. And things aren't going to get better. Yeah, things are not going to get better. Until we, the people, stand up and demand better, it's not going to change. You know, I'm all for political differences of opinion. You know, I, I've disagreed with Democrat presidents. Hell, I disagree with George W. Bush on the Patriot Act. You know, I mean, it's, it's a rights grab. That's all that was. I left the Republican Party because of this warrantless wiretap program. If that's not a violation of the Fourth Amendment rights of every single person in this country, nothing ever has been. Every electronic communication, including this one, is spied on by the federal government. They don't have a legitimate reason to do that. They don't have a warrant to do that. You give a government an inch and they will take 18 miles. 
And it's like, where, where are my fellow Americans that are going to stand up with me for our rights, who are going to stand in defense of the United States Constitution? Where are you? And of course, I'm not talking about my audience. I know you guys know what the hell's going on. And I'm talking about these millions of other idiots that either choose not to see it or they choose not to care. You know, when you've chosen to pledge your life, if it comes to that, for these pieces of paper, then you make sure everybody else respects the damn pieces of paper. And if they don't, then they need to be dealt with. Again, Mr. NSA agent listening to this, I'm not insinuating that there should be violence or that there should be a revolution or anything like that. I'm saying there should be, but I'm not implying it. But it's just ridiculous. You know, it's like, you can disagree with Trump. I disagree with Trump on some things. You know, he's, he's not a saint. He's not the be-all to end-all. No president is. No president ever has been. George Washington got close. Thomas Jefferson got close. Lincoln, with the exception of suspending habeas corpus, which is kind of a big deal, got close. But it's like nobody's ever been the be-all to end-all. Washington refused to be king. I sure as hell don't want Trump to be king. You know, our forefathers left tyranny and oppression and a monarchy. Our forefathers were spied on. Our forefathers had to quarter soldiers. They had the federal government in their homes. Oh, wait a minute. Do you have a cell phone? You do too. And I get so upset with the folks who say, oh, you know, I don't have anything to hide, so it's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. The feds cannot spy on you without a warrant. But they do. Every communication that you make is spied on by the federal government. Again, where are the people that care? And a lot of it's the fault of our media. Now, a free press is, is so much of what this nation is based on. It's like we have to rely on the press because we're not in the Oval Office every day. We're not in Congress every day. We need somebody to tell us the truth about what's going on. And I think it's still possible to get to the truth. It just takes more work than it ever has. You know, it's like back in the day, Walter Cronkite would come on TV, and that's the way it was. And I believe that's the way it was. I don't think he had an agenda. I don't think he had one party that he was trying to push over another. I don't think he was trying to get rid of a duly elected president of the United States for absolutely no freaking reason. And it's like now you've got MSNBC and CNN and the New York Times and God knows how many other publications and, and channels on one side. And then you've got Fox and the Daily Caller and, you know, whoever else, Washington Examiner probably falls into that category on the other side. And a rational, reasonable person with a lot of time on their hands 
can go through all those sources and get a pretty good idea of what's happening. But how many of us have time to do that? You know, we're out there busting our asses, trying to make ends meet. Take care of our kids, keep our homes up. Make sure the dog doesn't have to eat generic food. Make car payments, paying student loans. You know, it's like we run ourselves into the ground for the, the, the moderate existence that we have. Most people don't have the time or the energy or the desire to dig through all of these publications and all of these channels and put all the pieces together and figure out for themselves what the hell is actually happening. And that's why you end up with people who want Trump impeached and removed. You know, I, I see people on Facebook and other social media every day saying that Trump colluded with Russia. You know, it's like, how uninformed can you be? Robert Mueller's a Democrat sympathizer, and he always has been. And his report said no American, to include the President of the United States and any member of his campaign staff, colluded with Russia in any way to influence the 2016 election. And of course, he's not going to dime out Hillary Clinton. We know that she did. And I couldn't believe when, when he sat for his hearing, I believe it was Doug Collins, Republican congressman, that asked the question. But he asked him if he knew who Fusion GPS was. I know who Fusion GPS is. You know who Fusion GPS is. That was the debunked Christopher Steele. That was his company that used the Russian intelligence agents to formulate the false dossier on President Trump. Robert Mueller said he had no idea who Fusion GPS was. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're telling me that I'm more informed than the special prosecutor. Does anybody see a problem with that? Like I said, I'm not the sharpest tool in the drawer, and I'm certainly not the most informed man on planet Earth. I do a pretty good job of keeping up with what's going on. Under no circumstances should I know more than the special prosecutor. But I do. I know more than these Democrat congressmen and women. Impeach 45. Impeach 45. Before he even took office. Language warning, if you have kids in the car and you happen to be listening to this, you might want to turn the volume down here for about 10 seconds. Rashida Tlaib, we're going to impeach the motherfucker. That's what she said to her seven-year-old child about the president. And they try to tell me that Trump's a big old meanie pants and they need to get rid of him? They tell me that Trump's where the division's coming from? You're smoking crack. 
Bring Marion Barry back. Put him in Congress. It's just totally asinine. <laughs> and it's funny. Look at the Democrat candidates for president. It's like, how horrified would you be if either one of them won? It's like, socialism has never worked. Not one time in the history of planet Earth has it worked. And you have Americans that want to throw away the most prosperous country and the most prosperous system in the history of the world. For that? Open a damn textbook for once in your life. Just pay attention. The Soviet Union, the United Soviet Socialist States of Russia, collapsed on itself in five generations. Five. And officially a generation is 25 years. 125 years, Soviet Union was gone from the revolution to the end. We're already into 240-something. I think we're doing okay. Our economy is the envy of the world. And the Chinese are starting to do a little bit better. The Chinese have opened their markets up a little bit. They're kind of dabbling in just a hair of capitalism. And oddly enough, it works. I mean, again, look at the USSR. Look at Venezuela. Look at Cuba. Look at China to an extent. Is that the country you want? Is that where you want to live? You want to piss away everything every generation before us built? You know, I was fortunate enough this week. My cousin brought me some of the things that belonged to my grandfather. A lot of pictures and things that he had. Among that stuff was his bronze star, which was awarded to him for valor on D-Day, first wave Omaha Beach, my personal hero, best family man I've ever known best human being I've ever known. She brought me the pin off of a German officer's hat that he took after he killed that officer. Brought me shoulder boards from an SS trooper that my grandfather killed and took. And he used to have a, a wedding ring from a German soldier one of the few stories he actually told my grandmother about how he killed this man and took a knife out, cut his finger off, and took his wedding ring. And I held it at one point. I was a little kid. I didn't really know exactly what it meant. But I knew it was personal. And I knew that my grandfather came home because of his bravery and his dedication and his selflessness. 
his willingness to fight for what he believed in. I knew that man didn't because of my grandfather. You know, I'm sure most of you guys have seen the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan where they did their best to recreate what the Normandy invasion was like. The sea turning red, bodies falling all over the place. Heavy machine gun fire pinning everybody down, bodies falling all over the beach. You know, that's what my grandfather was willing to do for what he believed in. At what point... At what freaking point do we get off our asses and fight for what we believe in, too? I think it was Lincoln that said, if the United States ever falls, it's not going to be from without, it's going to be within. And he was right. And we're awfully close to proving that. There's no respect for the Constitution. There's no respect for the Bill of Rights specifically. We don't have the rights that we used to. Democrats don't want to see a democratically elected president if it's not their guy. You know, and and that's something else that really bothers me about the DNC. Obviously, I've told you, I I very staunchly disagree with Bernie Sanders and his beliefs. I think he's sincere. I just think he's completely misguided. But how misguided is the Democratic National Committee, who in 2016 turned over control to Hillary Clinton, who was running against uh, Bernie Sanders, They screwed him royally. He likely would have won. He likely would have been the nominee. And I just recently listened to Donna Brazil, who, um, after Debbie Wasserman Schultz was removed as chairman of the DNC, once these things started to break, Donna Brazil became the head of the party. And she said that she had to make a phone call to Bernie Sanders. She said she lit a candle in her house and she said a prayer. And she tried to calm herself down. And she called him and told him he got screwed. And she said she hung up the phone and cried. I'm not a fan of Donna Brazil. She's done a lot of things that I don't really care for. Getting the... Uh, Debate questions for Hillary Clinton before the debate was one of those things. But I believe her when she told that story. I believe that she did call him and apologize. I believe that there was a reason for her to do that. She wasn't the DNC chairwoman when it happened. But she was the one that had that task. To call him and tell him, hey, they got screwed. How sad is that, man? 
for whatever disagreements I have with him personally, excuse me, and believe me, there's a lot. It's like, you've got to trust and respect the democratic process, and the will of the people has to be what matters. And I just can't see that at least nationally these Democrats believe that. They want to pick. They want to choose. They want their guy. The establishment is going to dominate. Who gives a shit about you? If you don't respect our system, if you don't abide by our election laws, then you need to find something else to do. And if you can't do that, then we the people need to commit to stopping you by whatever means is necessary. The other thing that makes me sad is watching Joe Biden. And I'm not going to make fun of him. I'm not going to make light of his many, many, many gaffes. Because I've seen dementia up close. I saw my grandmother stop recognizing people. I saw her say things and heard her say things, rather, that didn't make any sense. I saw her and listened to her use her husband's name when he had been gone for over 30 years. Asking where he was. Pardon me. And I saw the final straw. She was still living in her own apartment. And I went over to visit her. She's about 90 at the time. And she was always strong and able to live on her own and do all the things that mattered to her for herself. She's very independent. Incredibly strong woman. I walked into her apartment and she was putting clothes into the oven. And I said, Mama, what are you doing? Oh, sweetie, I'm just trying to get some laundry done. Putting her laundry into the oven. I remember how much it hurt me to watch that. And to know that she wasn't going to be able to stay on her own anymore. I ended up, for the most part, having to make that decision. My mother, her daughter, was on vacation at the time, a thousand miles away. And I called mom and I explained to her what was happening. And I, I told her, yeah, this, this is it. She needs me in a nursing home. And it still makes me sick to say that. You know, it's like you hope you can take care of the people that you love the way they took care of you. We weren't able to do that. And she went into a nursing home. And over the next couple of years, we were very fortunate. You know, she did have some times where she was lucid and aware of what was going on and who was around and 
it's funny. She was the one that taught me to be a Redskin fan, and it didn't matter what time of year I went up there to see her. Oh, Jace, how are the Redskins doing? It'd be in April. Oh, they're doing great. They're playing tough. They really are. Oh, that's good. I'm so glad to hear that. She went through a stretch in the nursing home where she thought she was pregnant. And Mom and I went and talked to the nurses, and they were like, look, what do we do here? And they said that the least painful way to handle that was to play along. And Mom even brought her a baby doll a couple of weeks after that which she held and loved and pretended to care for. and I don't know. This, this stuff's hard to talk about, but just seeing a woman who, strong isn't the word for it, it's so much more than that. You know, a woman who was so vibrant, so active, you know, who was able to keep up with my brother and I when we were little. Who cared for us like I can't even put into words. Just a truly spectacular woman in every sense, in every aspect of her life. To see her go from that to the shell of herself who really didn't understand reality anymore. That's enough to make you sick. It really is. It still, as you can tell, it still bothers me to think about it. I'm very thankful to know that she's in a place where she knows everything and she's happy and healthy and flinging around the dance floor with my grandfather. But I, I tell this story for one reason. And that is when I listen to the things that Joe Biden says. It's, it's beyond the point of misspeaking now. You know, at some point it may have been that. And God knows you hear me misspeak here enough. But he's gotten to a point where his reality is starting to slip away. I mean, just the other night, he turned to his wife and took her hand and looked at her and said, I want you to meet my little sister. He didn't know. Dr. Jill had to tell him. Oh, you got to switch sides on me. Now, I'm sorry. If you've got two people that you love... One standing on one side, one standing on the other. And they switch sides. And you turn to your right, you take their hand, and you look at them. Are you going to identify them incorrectly? Of course you're not. For God's sake, the other day he said the only thing we can do is re-elect Donald Trump. He made no effort to correct himself. When he was in South Carolina saying, my name's Joe Biden and I'm a candidate for U.S. Senate. He made no effort to correct himself. And again, I am not making light of this at all. I don't care for Joe Biden's politics. But I understand that he's got a legacy. 30 plus years in the Senate. Vice president to the first African-American 
president in our history. He's a statesman, and he's been a good one. Like I said, I, I don't, I don't care for his politics really at all. But I also don't want to see someone embarrassed on the national stage when they've got as much to lose as he does. And if I can look at this man, and I can see that he's in the early stages of what my grandmother went through, then I know Joe Biden, who is a medical doctor, is also aware of that. Now you tell me, folks, think about that. Put yourself in in that position. Imagine your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mother, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin. You see them struggling like this. You see that reality is slipping away from them. You understand that these aren't just mistakes anymore. What do you do? Do you have the respect for them to get them out of the limelight and say, hey, you've done a great job. It's time to come home and enjoy your retired life. Or do you keep pushing? Do you keep trying to keep them well enough to get that brass ring? I don't know if you guys saw it. It's been probably eight or ten years ago now. Pat Summit, who was the women's basketball coach at Tennessee, was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's. And her teams and her program were at the absolute worst, second best in the country to Gino Ariema in Connecticut, which is just a freaking juggernaut. And she beat Gino a couple times. But she was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. I think she was 45 or right around there. And she made the decision to go on ESPN and in her own words, give her retirement speech and go home. She'd done everything in women's college basketball there was to do. And I'm just going to say college basketball. She's one of the greatest coaches in college basketball history. I would talk about her with Dean Smith and Roy Williams and, you know, anybody that coaches men's teams, men's teams, Bobby Knight. But I don't know if she realized it. She still understood it when her doctor gave her the diagnosis or a family member said, hey, you, know, you might want to think about this. But that was one of the most dramatic and heart-wrenching things I have ever seen on television. But she went out her way. She went out understanding what was going on. And she didn't let everybody see her fall apart. And so now when I think of Pat Summit, I think of that power and that grace and that dignity that she displayed. Don't you think that's how Joe Biden would want to be remembered? Don't you think he would want to be known for standing up and fighting for what he believed on, believed in on the floor of the Senate? 
don't you think he would want to be known as the great well-spoken statesman? He's always been a little off the cuff, and that's one of the things I, that I have enjoyed about him over the years. You know, he, he'll tell you how it is. But it's like at this point, he's not able to do that. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess on one hand, I like this situation for the president and for conservatives having a socialist and a guy that's losing his mind. But I, I don't wish, I don't wish what the vice president is going through on anyone, the former vice president, of course. Actually, I don't think they're called vice president for the rest of their lives like the president is. But regardless, I don't want to see that. I've seen it up close and it sucks. But I, I want to leave you guys on a positive note. And I know this has kind of been a, a Debbie Downer episode to some extent. And I'm way over on my time, too. I generally try to keep this to about a half an hour. We're still going to have that talk. We're still going to have that debate. Regardless of who the nominee is for the Democrats, we're going to have that conversation in a semi-civilized setting. where hopefully, mano a mano, we can talk about why our ideas are better than the other guys and try to counter it when he says his ideas are better. That's one of the things that I will always love about this country. You know, we're, we're one of the few countries in this, in this world where we always exchange power peacefully. We always have a diplomatic conversation when we're trying to pick our leader. And to some extent, as long as we continue to fight for it, the values and the things that we care about will always matter. Our forefathers gave the power to we the people. We're in charge. We decide who our leaders are going to be. We decide who's going to represent us. And we need to hold steadfast to that. I always enjoy election years. I really do. Because it's not the partisan bickering that you see in the Senate and in the House. It's two men trying to look presidential absolutely wouldn't mind if it was a man and a woman or two women. I want the most qualified person, whoever that is. Um, but like I said, we have a civil debate. It's idea versus idea. And that's what it's going to be again. And I hope that if Joe Biden is a part of that, that he's able to fight the way he should be able to. I want a formidable challenger. 
I want for the first time in my life to be able to pick between two good candidates. Because I think that the president has done an outstanding job. You know, I, I can't think of anything that's not better than it was when Barack Obama left office. And I want to hear the other side. Do you have ideas that are better than ours? If you do, I'm going to listen. If you don't, I'm going to tell you. But this country was given to us, folks. It was not given to our quote-unquote leaders. In fact, everybody in D.C., to include the president, is a representative. The founders gave the president the name president because it means preside, president. He presides over the country. He doesn't rule the country. We do. And as long as we never forget that, we'll be okay. And with that, I'm going to bring this episode to a close. I'm sorry for going over so much on time. It's been a while since I've gotten to talk to you guys. So I had a little more to say than usual, I guess. Um, but I appreciate you very much listening. I know there's all kinds of things that you guys could be doing besides listening to this podcast. And so every second that you give me, I just have the utmost gratitude for. And I hope you do understand that. Um, guys, you can reach me anytime you want to, and I love it when you do that. Um, I'm on Twitter at Treehouse1776, at Treehouse1776. It's also the Treehouse of Liberty podcast on Facebook. You can also reach me at my personal page, Jason Fornwalt. My last name is F-O-R-N as in Nancy, W-A-L-T as in Tom. You can also send an email to jdfornwalt at gmail.com. Same spelling, obviously. Um, if you do send me a message, please just put listener commentary, listener commentary, either as the title or as the first part of your message. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again so much for your time. This has been the Treehouse of Liberty podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fornwalt. Take care.